It's been said that the task of a prophet is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Prophets like Amos, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're all quite adept at afflicting the comfortable. Amos, in particular, was really harsh in chastising the children of Israel because of their treatment of the poor, as well as for their other sins. In chapter 3, he explains why. Hear this word, he said, people of Israel. The word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. That's kind of interesting, don't you think? I mean, from time to time, I hear people today say that God has chosen America to be his people. And that's the reason we're so blessed materially. Well, I say, be careful. (laughs) Remember what the master said. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, we can argue over whether America is God's chosen people, but there's no argument that God expected so much out of the Israel of the Bible because he had chosen her to be his people. And it was because God chose Israel to be his people that he punished her for her sins. That was the teaching of the prophets. Now, fortunately, today we live on the other side of the cross. Christ has borne our sins on himself. As the psalmist said, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So God does not punish it for our sins. Say to the person next to you, you should be thankful God does not punish you for your sins. It's good news, right? Still, it would profit us to heed the word of the prophets. If we are in Christ, the punishment for our transgressions has been taken away from us. Lightning's not going to strike us down the next time that we sin. And yet, that doesn't mean that we are exempt from the consequences of our sinful actions. So, if I drive out of the parking lot of church this morning at 90 miles an hour, run three red lights, drive recklessly in every way possible, even if I do escape the judgment of law enforcement, there is still the judgment of the laws of physics that says that if you take a turn too fast in a car, there's a price to pay. I mean, really, there's a certain amount of pain involved in crashing an automobile into an immovable object like a large oak tree, or for that matter, another car. God's not punishing me for this reckless act. The laws of nature are punishment enough. So again, God does not punish us for our sins. Jesus suffered and died in our place. And yet God weeps when we bring punishment on ourselves by our misdeeds, whether as individuals or as a nation. And so the prophets of the Old Testament 
were simply warning the people where they were headed if they continually ignored God's law. Someone has likened it to two young men canoeing down the river toward Niagara Falls. Although the water was relatively calm, they were approaching the area where the water began to pick up speed as it headed for the falls. A man on the shore, sensing the danger, called out, Young men, you're getting too close to the rapids. But the young man who heard the warning didn't heed it. Instead, they just went on laughing and joking, paying no attention to the danger. On the shore, the man watching began to run and shouted in desperation, Turn around, you're getting too close to the rapids. Still, the young man did not heed his warning. Faster and faster ran the current until the canoe was trapped in the rapids. Then the young men began to panic. And with all the power at their command, they tried to turn the canoe around. But it was too late. Over the falls they went, all because they refused to heed the voice of warning. My friends, the prophets of the Old Testament were not simply spoil sports, as many of us today would like to imagine them, trying to keep people from having too much fun. Rather, they were voices of warning that doing wrong can bring disaster for us and often for the people that we love. Sometimes, if we are fortunate, a friend will serve as a voice of warning for us, and what a blessing that is. And so the prophets were often quite strident with their warnings. But every once in a while, the prophets were capable of striking a gentle chord as well, none more so than the prophet Isaiah. And so our text for today contains some of the most beautiful words in all the scripture. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. Now here's the setting for the passage. The Babylonian army had invaded the land. Many of the leading citizens had been taken away to exile in Babylon. The temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. The holy city now lies in ruin. And the people were in shock. Those carried away to exile had the extra burden of being displaced from their home, the promised land. As the psalmist cried out during this time of exile, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. That's the situation that the prophet Isaiah is addressing. But rather than issuing any more words of warning, he instead becomes a herald of hope. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. You see, the Lord has not forgotten his people. Indeed, God himself will soon be coming to them. This is one of the many messianic prophecies of Isaiah. He's telling the people that God will not leave them, just as he will not leave us. As he says in chapter 7, verse 14, these familiar words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God with us. Are there any words in scripture more beautiful than these? God with us. That was the message of Isaiah to the people of Israel. Emmanuel was coming. God had not forgotten them. They were not alone. You know, in one of his books, Evangelist Billy Graham told about a time in his life when he was going through a dark period. He said he prayed long and earnestly, but there wasn't any answer. He said he felt as though God was indifferent and that he was all alone with his problem. It was what some would call a dark night of the soul. Billy Graham wrote his mother about the experience. He said he would never forget her reply. Son, she said, there are many times when God withdraws to test your faith. He wants you to trust him in the darkness. Now, son, reach up by faith in the fog, and you will find that God's hand will be there. Relieved, Graham said, I knelt by my bed and experienced an overwhelming sense of God's presence. That is the greatest source of comfort in this world. Now, I know there are many things that are offered as sources of comfort in the world today. I mean, we have comfort food. <laughs> Chocolate, anyone? On the farm growing up, meatloaf and mashed potatoes were my comfort food. Well, different strokes for different folks. Linus in the Peanuts cartoon had his blanket for comfort. Remember that? He took it with him everywhere he went. Now, here at Emmanuel, we give out prayer shawls and prayer blankets, which are a tremendous source of comfort to those who are suffering. And nowadays, people can carry their pet with them for comfort. I mean, you see them all over in department stores, on buses and airplanes. And hey, it seems to work. Of course, people who love us or seek to minister to us can be a great comfort as well. There are times when we need another actual human to comfort us. But later in this chapter, Isaiah tells us the real source of comfort, and that, of course, is God himself. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And then he adds these tender words. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now that's comfort. Comfort that only God can give. When I was in the first grade, I had my first experience with memory work. I went to the Lutheran school and Part of our daily routine was to memorize a portion of the small catechism and recite it to the teacher. Each day we would be assigned a verse or two and then we would say our memory work the next morning. Naturally, as a first grader with no experience, 
I was a bit anxious about completing this new task. Now I would practice and practice, but too often my nerves would get the best of me. Even though I knew the verses perfectly, I couldn't get the words to form on my lips. And so my mom would gently encourage me to practice on my own before I went to sleep each night. And then just before we said our nightly prayers, she would have me recite the words to her. And she told me that the words would stick with me all night and be there for me in the morning. And just like I could feel her there sitting beside me that night, I would feel God's presence with me the next morning. What a blessing it was as a little boy to have the comfort and presence of my mother in my time of need. Well, it's an even greater blessing to know that God is always there. When you're anxious or distressed, when you feel alone or afraid, when you're overwhelmed by your own sin or the circumstances of this world, know that God is there. God is there for you to bring you that elusive comfort you so desire. You have a good shepherd who gathers you in his arms and carries you close to his heart. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.